Well, church, we are in Mark chapter 9. If you haven't been with us this month, we are going through Mark, the, the, the chapter of Mark 9. Um, we invite you to read that through with us. We're going to be in the last passage next week. Our very own uh, Zach Hallow is going to be preaching uh, the end of Mark 9. So y'all, y'all get ready for that. But this morning, we're going to talk uh, out of Mark chapter 9, verse 33 and 41. And we've entitled this, um, The Way to Glory. Jesus is, once his disciples begin to get the revelation that he is the Christ, Jesus begins to make his way from northern Israel to Jerusalem. Very face-like flint. He is going, he's preparing his disciples We see the miracles and the signs and the wonders of Jesus and his disciples. And we, um, it's kind of like, I said this last week, but the last dance in that um, documentary where it followed the Chicago Bulls. I used to grow up watching the Bulls and cheering for Michael Jordan and getting excited about him. But you don't really know what's happening behind the scenes. Well, we get a behind the scenes docuseries in Mark on, on kind of how did Jesus prepare these men to change the world? No other movement, no other life than Jesus Christ has utterly transformed human history like Jesus has. And these 12 uneducated, untrained men out of their own confession shifted all of human history. How did they do it? And so we've been studying this. How, what is the way to glory? And so I've entitled this particular sermon this morning, uh, The Wake in the Wake of Glory. In the wake of glory. Now, I do a, I've done some water sport. Do we have any water sport fiends in here? I know we've got a few. Uh, not professionally? That's good. Some of us have done some water skiing, wakeboarding, okay? Some modest folks up here. Some are really good in this room. But I don't know a lot, but what I do know is that when you get in the wake of the boat, that's kind of how you start, and it gives you a little bit of a buffer against some of the, the wakes of other boats. It kind of churns the water, and it makes it semi-smooth. Now, the advantage of being in there is, is obvious. So you don't get knocked sideways or whatever, but, but there's also a disadvantage of being in the wake. You don't get to feel when, when the lake or the river is completely flat. You don't get to feel like riding on glass, you know? You can't feel that in the wake. So there's, there's advantages and there's disadvantages, and we see this. I was reminded of this. I got to um, be at uh, a field day for my kids. Uh, I think it was last week. Is it last week? Uh, which was a riot, you know. I felt like I was refereeing more parents than children. You ever felt that way? If you've ever coached kids, it's the same thing, you know. You, you coach parents more than the kids. I wish I could say I was not guilty of that, but I am. But I was, it was reminded of my own field day. I don't know, if, did y'all participate in field day? It was fun, right? This was uh, back in the day when they, you only got blue ribbons if you won. No more ribbons, you know, blue. That was it. You might get a red. There were, sometimes there was a red. But no pink, no purple, none of that. So I was in, I had been training. I was in fourth grade, and I, you did like, the number of yards of your grade, like t- so it was like, you know, the 10-yard dash for the, for the first graders, the 20-yard dash for the second. I had made my class, I, was, I got chosen, I had competed and won my class to compete at the school level, fourth grade, 40-yard dash. I was excited, you know. So I'm up there, and I was like, was it, was it Rich Strike who won the Kentucky? 80 to 1 odds, you know, I'm up there. 
and I win. Everybody's shocked. In fact, no one believed me. They, that guy won the 40-yard dash. They're like, no, he didn't. You know, that was true. I had mobs of people coming to me at school and be like, did you win? They're like, yeah, I won. He didn't win. And they'd walk away. But with that glory and that excitement also came, I didn't realize this, a lot of challenges. Because at school now, and then there was some other benefits. I won't, I won't just tell you, there were benefits. I, get, I did get a blue ribbon. I get to brag to my friends. When you're on the playground, the girls who are fast think they can catch you. I didn't mind that, you know. <laughs> Watching them run me around, I'm like, yeah, you can't catch me? Oh, slow down. But then it also prevented, presented some challenges, right? And those challenges were um, now other men, other fourth men, other fourth grade boys <laughs> saw me as a threat, you know? I could see them across the playground sizing me up like, I don't understand, you know? How, how did I lose to this guy, you know? I even had to clean some kids, um, some sneakers on the playground because you know, some fights were going to break out because I'd, I'd beat them. So I'm like cleaning sneakers, you know? I'm doing all kinds of stuff trying to survive. Um, so it was like, man, glory and warnings and trials, you know? And so we see this here with Jesus, that Jesus' followers are in his wake. They are, I mean, can you imagine, like every miracle Jesus did, like you're there, you kind of feel apart, you know? I watched the ECU game yesterday. We have 14 in a row. We won in the 10th inning. It was awesome. I felt a part of the team, but no, I'm not. Barely a fan, you know? And yet I felt like there was something visceral, like we, you know? Never stepped a foot on the field, but we, you know? And you can feel that with Jesus' disciples. Man, Jesus is doing this stuff, and it's like, we are awesome, you know? We're good. So with the glory of being with Jesus is also the temptations that come with being with Jesus. And I'm going to look at that. So two things this morning. The way to follow Jesus and the warnings to following Jesus. Number one, we see here, now let's, let's read our passage. I get ahead of myself. Let's read our passage this morning. Mark chapter 9, 33 through 41. And they came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, what were you discussing on the way? Pretty innocuous question there. But they kept silent, for on the way they had been arguing with one another, who was the greatest? Can you imagine this conversation, right? Who was the greatest? It's like when you're in kids, you're like, my dad can beat up your dad, you know? Like, son, I'm not fighting anyone, ever, you know? And he sat down and he called the 12. You see this real intentional, I mean, think about this. He's casual conversations. And then this is what teachers in that time would do. When they sat down, it was like the lesson begins. So Jesus sat down. And he called the 12, and he said to them, if anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. And he took a child and put him in its midst, and taking him in his arms, he said to them, whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. Now, John this is John, the, uh, the disciple Jesus loved. He had a special place near Jesus in the Last Supper, pretty close, feels comfortable. He's going to step up. Jesus, John said to him, Teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he was not following us. But Jesus said, Do not stop him. 
For one who does a mighty work in my name will not be able afterward to speak evil of me. For the one who is not against us is for us. For truly I say to you, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you belong to Christ will by no means lose his reward. Now, first thing we see, the, the way to follow. Jesus said this, I am the way, the truth, and the life. There's a way to Jesus. Now, we know the truth, Jesus Christ died the death I deserve to die. He lived the life I deserve to live. But he also showed us a way. And we're getting, we're getting that behind the scenes look. So number one on this kind of the way of following Jesus is following Jesus means being near Jesus. You gotta be near him. I remember as a, as a kid in the grocery store, I had an old school mom, you know. When you pitched a fit in the grocery store and flung yourself down, she'd leave you. Right? Ain't no like, oh, please get up. No negotiations. I'll get you these, this candy if you follow me. No, stay right here. Come on. And then you flail around and then you look up thinking you're going to get what you want. She's not even there. Terror, right? You're crying. Other parents are like, you should have followed your mom. You know, they're like, you should have gone. Why? You, you left the one you were following and now you don't know where you're going. Now, we can say we're near Jesus. We can even be in a company of people who are following Jesus. Think about this. If you're in this company following Jesus, you're probably not doing a good job right now because you're fighting over who's greater. Can you imagine walking in on Jesus' church on Sunday morning and you kind of overhear a couple of his church leaders in the bathroom or in the hallway arguing with each other who's the greatest. Man, John's a punk, you know? You saw him walk in there like, like he owned the place? Telling other disciples, stop casting out. Who does he think he is? Peter, you're the best. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I am the best, you know? And you hear this. Imagine the representation of like, should I follow Jesus? Well, his disciples are idiots. Right? That's what you're thinking. You walk into his church, you're like, we ain't going back. We're going to that other church. I think John the Baptist, he has a church down the street. You're going to find another place. And so, so many times we get around the people who call on Jesus' name, we see something ridiculous, and then we write off the leader. It's not Jesus. It's his followers that are jacked up. Well, that's kind of comforting to me because uh, I'm jacked up. There's a place for me in this misfits, and there's a place for you and I. If we're not near Jesus, we could be around people who call on Jesus and miss Jesus altogether. Do you see how distant these disciples are from how Jesus lives? Jesus had just got out of his mouth. Look, I'm going to go to the cross. I'm going to die. I'll be rejected. I'm going to raise again. Oh, that's, that's interesting, Jesus. I wonder who's going to be the greatest. He literally just got out of his mouth. I'm going to self-sacrifice. I'm going down, guys. And his, yeah, 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 I got you. Yeah, you're going down so that you can go up. I'm going to be the greatest, right? And they've missed Jesus altogether. It's amazing to us that we can be in rooms like this, we can attend service like this and not be near Jesus at all. 
Have we spent time with him? Do we know when we hear the disciples talking about who's the greatest, do we know this is not right? Man, I don't think Jesus would be doing this. Now, I'd like to say I'd be one of those, but all 12 of them evidently missed the boat. Because following Jesus means being near him. So here's my question. What does it look like to be near Jesus? Once a week is not near Jesus, right? Being near Jesus means having this relationship with Jesus that he's with you at work. He's with you at school. He's near you. He's with you when you're on the ball field. He's with you when you're sitting down with your boss for, for an evaluation. He's with you always. He's with you. It's being near Jesus. Now, we've kind of relegated Jesus to a place on Sunday mornings, a time, 15 minutes in the morning. But did you know Jesus wants to walk with you throughout the day? He wants to speak to you. That's the beauty of a relationship with God in the gospel is that the, the veil of the temple was torn so that you could commune with God face to face. Like, for the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross, scorning its shame so that you could be ushered into the presence of God 24-7 yes, yes, yes. to be near him. That's what it means to follow Jesus. It doesn't mean to check some boxes on a theological sheet. I believe that. And then I live my life like he does not even exist. We are practical atheists. We ascend to God. Yeah, yeah, but we don't confer with him. We don't connect with him, right? Following Jesus means being near him. Second thing we see, following Jesus means living in community. Now, imagine if you're, I don't know, Bartholomew. Mew, mule, mew. You're Bartholomew. That's how the Galilean said it. All right, and that country accent. So here you are, you're following Jesus by yourself. There's no competition. I'm the best. It's just me and Jesus. You know, I just have this relationship with Jesus. You know, it's personal. There's no situation to happen where you're now going to fight with Simon the Zealot. There's no situation where you're going to need patience with the loudmouth Simon, right? There's these moments in community bring out the heart. If you're by your, there's no, there's no, hey man, I'm the greatest. Of course I'm the greatest. I don't need to say that. I don't need to be in that because I'm the only one here. Man, we think we're awesome. Those of us who are, were single and are now married, we thought we were like good people. And then you get married and you're like, I'm the worst person ever. Or they are, I can't decide, right? But then, then you have kids if you have kids or do kids ministry. And you're like, oh my gosh, right? I've got to live with this person. I've got to help them grow up. That's, that takes something. And, and, and this community is the crucible that brings what's hidden to the surface. I mean, if you're a teacher in here, I mean, we got some teachers in here. Y'all know what can come to the surface. But that doesn't come to the surface until the kids come in the classroom. Man, I'm a great teacher as long as no kids are here. I'm awesome. Everything I say makes sense. 
It's quiet. People don't talk without me calling on them. But then the classroom's here, and now something's coming out of me. That doesn't even get visible without the community. So following Jesus means living in gospel community. Now, I'm saying gospel community, and, and functionally, I might say things like life group or like uh, home group or like your workout group. But even there, if we relegate community to a time and not a relationship, we miss the point. Jesus doesn't say, man, I really want you in life group. Now, I do want you in life group, but for this purpose, community. I want you in life group so that you can look at each other in the eyes and say, are you okay? Or you can say, look at each other and then just speak life, man. You're a champion for Christ, man. You're awesome. I know you're struggling, but you're going to make it through this. That's community. Now, community isn't life group, but I've, in our busy world, very few of us have community without intentionality. Very few of us. At least not gospel community. I got, I got community at the baseball field, right? When we're winning, things are great. When we're losing, the coach is the worst, right? Right? But then there's community that's different. That we're talking about each other's lives and marriages and kids and we're praying for each other. That's community. Community is the crucible for character and God doing something in us. And this is how Jesus, look at that. We talked about this last week. I know, didn't you say this last week? Yes, and it's amazing how many times I say it and we hear it and we don't live it. That following Jesus means to be near him in community on mission. That's what it means. The Bible only uses the word Christian two or three times in all of the New Testament. And two of those times are derogatory. It's like a slang term. Because Jesus didn't say, come and be Christians. He said, come and be followers. And to be a follower of Jesus means to be near him and to be in community and do what he's doing in the earth. In fact, this is what he's painstakingly training them to do. I'm not going to be here forever. You guys are going to have to push this forward. That's why I think this kid is so powerful in this because he realizes what I'm asking you to do, you won't be able to do in your lifetime. And if you don't learn to put your arms around these kids and pass the baton to them, and they better be older than two or three or four or five years old when you hand them the baton spiritually. They better be able to, to walk with their head held high, know who they are in Christ, and discern between good and evil. How are we going to pass the baton to the next generation unless we embrace them? I mean, I remember seasons of my life where kids were just a nuisance because I didn't have any. I wasn't married. I remember my, my campus pastor, I'm like, why are the kids always here? They're a distraction. I can identify with these disciples. I know you're thinking like, oh my God, you? Some of you are like, yeah, you? <laughs> Y'all know me. So here's the reality though. Jesus is saying, man, without this next generation, the kingdom doesn't move forward. Without this next generation, the gospel of the kingdom of Jesus doesn't go to the ends of the earth. And so Jesus said, look, y'all spread out. Brings this child in and embraces him. Puts him in his arms. If you receive this child, then you receive me. 
Because they're going to be the ones who carry Jesus forward. I was at a funeral yesterday. We are not promised eternity, y'all. Like, eternity on this earth. We're promised eternity with Jesus. But we're not promised to live forever in this life. We have a season that we're going to steward. 80-ish years. How will we pass it on? That brings me, number three, following Jesus means living on gospel, gospel mission. Passing this on. I've just talked about this. He's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Do you want to know why he says three generations there? Because it's going to take more than one generation to do what God wants to do in this city and in the nations of the earth. He's a generational God. He's on mission to see his name glorified. Hey, guys, I'm going to the cross. You are going to have to pass this forward. And don't forget about them because they're going to carry it after you. The beauty of the gospel fleshed out in our lives in community on mission. Now that's the way. What about the warnings? The warnings of following Jesus. Selfish ambition. Selfish ambition. There's a temptation for all of us to follow Jesus for what we can get out of it. Every one of these disciples was doing it. It's not like, I would never have selfish ambition. Every one of his disciples had it. I don't think we're exceptions to that. Some of us come to Jesus because we have a message of hope. We see something we've never seen before. God opens our eyes to the love of God, but secretly we're in it for what we can get out of it. We all do it. And so Jesus is trying to whittle that down for us. He's saying, look, guys, selfish ambition is not good. He goes on to say this in Philippians, and James says this, Philippians 2, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. I mean, can, do y'all do that? Can, do any of us? You know what? I'm not that important. My wife, she's more important than me. I should do what she wants to do. Rarely, right? And in the good days, we're like, yeah. But that's not like my default mode. Like, I just want to live for others, God. I want to be less and you could be more. Now, I know I'm supposed to say that. I know we're quiet. I guess no one's real. I know we're supposed to say that, but do we live that way? James 3 says, but if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, look at this, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. What is, what is James saying here? What is Jesus getting to? Selfish ambition, serving, following Jesus from what you can get out of it is the foundation for every evil practice. That's what he's saying. Selfish ambition. Why am I getting to this? Why is this important? Because our hearts are, Proverbs, the, the most wise man on the earth, said it this way, the heart of a man is deep waters. Who can understand? I don't even know what's in my heart half the times. That's why community is important. It shows it. 
And then some, you know, my brothers in Christ will say, that's ugly. You know? And the Holy Spirit will say, that's not there. Right? That's not, that shouldn't be there. But our, our hearts are deep waters, and sometimes we have come to Jesus because, you know what, I just want to serve God so my marriage will be good. Or I just want to serve God so my family will be good. Or I just want to serve God so I can get a good job and, and succeed in my career. Now, are there blessings for following Jesus? Of course there are. Of course there's blessings from following Jesus. But imagine my kids being like, Dad, could you be quiet? I just, I'm just here because you feed me, you give me a place to eat, I mean, a place to sleep, right? And you pay for my stuff every once in a while. And you drive me around. I don't really care about you. Now, we would never say that to God, but we, sometimes we have a default mode to live that way. That we follow Jesus as long as the gas is still running, right? And the food's still coming. But what happens when we don't get what we want? Or, or things happen, trials, well, God, I did this. And that's what's so dangerous about this prosperity gospel is that, man, if you serve Jesus, all your dreams will come true. False. Because when they don't come true, then we're like, you lied to me, God. Well, hold on, why are you here? Right? The greatest among you will be a servant of all. Because we're here for him. Jesus models this for us. There's a subtle and diabolical temptation here. We aren't serving Jesus for Jesus and others. We're serving him for our own agenda. I mean, think about Judas here. Man, he's here the whole time. He's actually doing some pretty powerful stuff, Judas is. And then at some point, man, the heart of Judas, man, Jesus is doing this wrong. We're not going to the king like I thought we were. I'm out of here. And then we turn our back. Second, we see here a warning of following Jesus is, there's, is our silence. Man, Jesus had just um, told them, hey, man, I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to rise from the dead. And the, the Bible says the disciples didn't ask him anything because they were confused and scared. And then Jesus says this. Pulls them the huddle. What were you guys talking about? Well, uh, you mean the game? No, what were you talking about? They were silent. Why? What is silence an indication of? Shame. Man, I've been in community and been silent. Why? Because I'm hiding something. I'm ashamed of what I don't know or what I'm not doing. And silence can be a tendency. Silence can be a warning for us. This can be a temptation because, man, when we're hiding things, man, we're in trouble. The Bible says that he wants us to walk in the light as he is in the light. We have fellowship with one another. When we're silent, we miss out on genuine community. When we're silent, we begin to isolate ourselves. I'm not talking about physically. You can be in this room and be hiding and feel all alone. Because silence is, is a great temptation for the followers of Jesus because we think because we've got everything together and know everything, Jesus likes us. But that's not the gospel. The gospel says Jesus loves you. And when you were his enemy, he died for you. He already knows. And finding a gospel community where you can air your dirty laundry and not be judged 
and not be condemned and not be gossiped about is essential. And that's why as a community, when people confess stuff, we hold that with great value. We guard it with our lives. Because if we're gossips, if we judge others, then we ruin the environment that God needs to bring people to redemption. That's why gossip is mentioned with some pretty heinous sins. Because it destroys the environment God needs for healing. People have to be able to say, this is what I'm struggling with. And you'll be like, praise God. God has an answer for that. He's made provision for that. And I'm not going to tell everybody about that. That's your, me and you's confidence. I'm going to pray for you and I'm going to help you walk out of that. And you're no better than anyone in this room and no worse. We need that. That's where healing. That's why there's a smidge of this authenticity in this community where people are getting restored and they're laying their sins before Jesus and they're walking that out because we're, by the grace of God, fighting for that. And if you're not seeing that, please be, help us to be a part of a community that puts that fire out. That if we're talking about people, that we would say, you know what? Maybe you need to talk about them. Talk to them. Maybe you need to talk to them and not fuel it. Because it's the environment that God wants to use for his glory. Something all of us can be a part of, guarding that. Thirdly, and in a little bit kind of overlap with the first, serving ourselves. In the face of self-promotion, Jesus invites a child in and embraces him, takes him in his arms. The children represented the least important person in the room. They are who we would describe as the other. They didn't have any power. They didn't have any wealth. There was nothing for them to bring to the table except for cries, um, poop, um, right? Uh, lots of attention. They drain everything. And Jesus is saying, I want to give you a privileged place because to follow me means to serve the least of these. Following me means to serve those. Serve those who can't give you anything in return. That's what Jesus is saying. And that's hard for, for practical people like me, for, for business-minded people. We're like, what's my investment here? Probably nothing. But when you receive them, you receive me. And when you receive them, you receive God himself. That's why the most important ministry in this church probably doesn't always happen in this room, but it happens behind this room where little children are being received as the very face of God where we can give up an hour and a half on a Sunday morning to welcome the little children and see God in their faces and see the purpose of God and be able to sow into the, the families in this church. Man, it's beautiful. But we've kind of regulated that as like, eh, eh, eh. I'm here for this. The music and the mediocre preaching. <laughs> right? But Jesus said, man, when you receive these little ones, you receive me. Yeah. 
Luke 14, 12 says this. He said also to the man who had invited him, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you will be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor and the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. What is Jesus saying? Are we serving to get? Or are we serving because we see God in it? That's the t- look, guys, that's, that's for, for all of us, that's a shift of heart and a constant reminder and, and a battle that we need help with. Man, God help us that when we're serving our city, we're thinking about those who can't pay us back. That we're not politicking. We're going to give a little money here, a little money there so that we can get in the door so we can be heard. Are we giving to no one? They ain't got a door. There's no, there's no reciprocity here if we give to here. That's what Jesus is saying. Serving, are we serving ourselves or are we serving others? Finally, I think a pretty significant one here, sectarianism. We saw someone casting out demons in your name and we tried to stop him. It's it's amazing because right before this, they couldn't cast out a demon, if y'all remember. They're like, why can't we cast it out, Jesus? And this brother's not even with the group. He's like, in the name of Jesus, boom, in the name of Jesus, boom. They're like, you shouldn't be doing that. Calm that down. He's not a part of us. He probably didn't wear his clothes right or or speak with the right accent or have the right uh, political views. So we got to shut this down. And here's Jesus like, what are you doing? You think that all I can do is raise up 12 disciples? You think that what I'm doing in the earth is limited right here? This is a great temptation for us. Imagine if you're in the inner circle of Jesus, you're pretty confident that you're the man. I mean, how could you not? Like you walk into a city and it's boom. I mean, literally walking down. Here's this funeral. Here's a boy walking down. Oh, we're, oh, Jesus. Stop the funeral. Get out of that casket. I mean, you'd be walking down like, yeah, with him. I mean, how could you not do that? Right? That's, that is, and then when you see someone else doing it, like, look, calm down, bro. We're with Jesus. You with us? Settle down. And we act like, oh, <laughs> we do that all the time. If you, if you think our fighting in here, I mean, I'm better than you. No, I'm better than you. It doesn't spill out. Man, we're better than that church. You know, in the way they preach that, eh, isn't that cool? We're cool. We believe the right stuff. They don't. You feel the sectarianism, right? We're judging them and judging them. Oh, this, no, Jesus, there's great room in the kingdom of God. Now, there's room in Christ. What I'm not saying is like, oh, we compromised the gospel. I'm not saying that at all. I'm not, I'm not talking about the core things that you can be saved by no other one than Jesus. Yes. But man, that, once you get in there, well, it's broad, right? That we can love our brothers that don't think like we do and our sisters. There's room in the kingdom and they're casting out devils. What you doing? Right? There's some serious good stuff going on here. Can we get behind that, please? Is that a criticizing? Look, I feel it, y'all. It's not, it's not like you guys. This is coming out of my own heart. 
see that church down the road, they're doing something good. You're like, they can't be doing everything right. You know? Like, what is that? What? You feel that come out? That's, that's not from him. Right? They can't be doing everything right. What are they doing wrong? I'm going to put it on Twitter. I mean, I've been a part of these. I've been a part of groups, myself actively included. Man, we like to puff ourselves up and look at others and be like, you guys are, you know, we're the best. I don't know what they're doing. What in the world? They're saving people's lives, getting people out of, like, ministering to people out of drug addiction. Breaking chains, casting out devils, feeding the sick. And we're going to find the one little nuance of, of a non-core issue in the Bible and be like, they're wrong about that. <laughs> Man, I've been Baptist. I've been charismatic. I've been kooky charismatic. I've been the whole spectrum. <laughs> Man, you could nitpick me on every step of the way. But is Jesus being glorified? Is his name being preached? Is the gospel going forth? Let's celebrate that. And when we see our brothers and sisters who don't exactly align with us, encourage them. Because it's going to take more than this church to reach this city. Now, God has a call. There is a place in this city for us. I believe that with all my heart. But we get the whole thing, right? We need each other. And I believe God is calling the church in this hour. And I, I, there's a grace in this city, y'all. For whatever reason, in this city, it's not that hard. Other cities, it might be real hard. Oh, yeah, they're, they're horrible. Man, there's some awesome churches in this city. Awesome churches. And they love each other. And are generous toward each other. Man, well, let's get a part of that. Amen? Amen. How do we do this? Dear God, help us serve others, right? The greatest among you will be the servant of all. The greatest among you will be the servant of all. Two, two things I want to say about this as we close. The first is, you don't serve so that you can lead. I've always read that scripture that way. Man, if I serve real good, man, I get to be the leader. That's not what the verses say. Leaders are there to serve. Now, you might say, I'm not a leader. You're leading yourself. Let's start there. If you're a single person, you lead yourself. You probably lead within a community. You can lead your spouse in healthy ways. You can lead your family. So when you're in these moments, we have to serve others, okay? That's why leaders are there. They're there to serve. That's their call. How do we do this? Because Jesus models something for us. Philippians 2, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God a thing to be held on to, a thing to be grasped, a thing to be cling to, but emptied himself, stepped down to our dirty, nasty world, walked around with a bunch of knuckleheads for three years who were fighting on who's the greatest, Right? Died in our place, went low. He served us, washed their feet. I mean, he's modeling this for us so that we can see his example. We can know him because we have a relationship with him. 
He walks beside us and like, this is hard. He's like, boy, it's real hard. You should have seen Thomas's feet, bro. Like, it's real hard. We have someone that we can commune with to draw from. Jesus is with us. He served us. I mean, just think about how much service you've needed. You have needed. So that when you look to your kids, you'll be like, I can do this. Because Jesus served me. I'm going to serve them. So we, we get our inspiration. We get our model from Jesus. And here's just leadership 101. And this has saved me so many times. If you're a parent, your spouse, you're a leader anywhere, ask this question. You're in a situation, what do I do? Ask this question. How can I serve them in this situation? How can I serve them in this situation? You're talking about revolutionizing your parenting? How can I serve my kids in this situation? Not, how do I get out of this uncomfortable situation so I can go back to watching the game? Not, how can I figure this out so I don't have to deal with conflict because I don't like conflict? No, how can I serve my kids? Serving my kids in this situation, the best thing for them, those who dedicated some kids up here this morning, the best thing I can do for these kids might be discipline. Probably discipline. It's not fun. They don't look at you and be like, Dad, thank you for disciplining me. Because, like, I had a really bad attitude, and then when you disciplined me, I was like, I see it. Maybe 30 years from now, maybe. 30 years from now, they'll look at you and be like, Dad, you are amazing. And your, your parents will be like, wow, that was a long time coming, you know. <laughs> what do I do in this situation to serve my students? It might mean driving them harder than I want to drive them for their benefit because I'm here to serve them, not here just to check some boxes and get a paycheck, right? So how can I serve? I'm thinking, Lord, I ask this every week. How can I serve the congregation with this word? Now, I don't hit it out of the park every week. I don't even get that right every week. But that's a question that I filter through or a conversation I might have to have. I'm like, Lord, how can I serve them in this situation? Because it'd be easier just to do this. But that won't help them grow. Oh, oh yeah, the cross. Yeah, you did this for me. Jesus, give me grace to do this for them. How can I serve them in this situation? Maybe it's your roommate. They don't know Jesus, or, or maybe they're not walking with the Lord like they should. How can I condemn them good enough to get them right on track? No, how can I serve them so that they might see Jesus? I was talking to a, I was at a conference two summers ago, I think. This guy played baseball at University of Houston. Um, he just got radically saved. And he was like, man, what do I do, man? He was read the Bible and you should wash people's feet. And he's like, man, I, I don't think people would be down with that. But what's like, what's like close to that? He's like cleaning their apartments. So he would go to other basketball players and baseball players on his team or, or other athletes, and he'd clean their apartment for them. And they'd be like, what are you doing? It's the weirdest thing I've ever done. Man, Jesus changed my life, man. I'm going to clean your apartment. 
I mean, they would come to faith. Like, they would come to the group. Like, this crazy guy keeps cleaning my apartment, so I'm here, you know. And they'd get saved because he just, look, it was weird. But he's doing something for someone else. And sometimes it's like, this doesn't even make sense. I can't at least show up to see what they're teaching these people. You know what I mean? Like, who would do that? You're, a ba- you're an athlete on a D1 university, and you're doing stuff for others? That does not compute. I'm here to be worshiped and served, and they're serving others. I don't know. I got, I don't, this is blowing my circuit because a kingdom is breaking in, a different kind of kingdom, a kingdom that's not gotten because of force and power and manipulation and control, but service. It's breaking in. Amen? All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning that you have asked us to do something as followers of Jesus that you did first. Jesus never asked us to do anything that he didn't first do. So let me just comfort you and just speak a word of encouragement over you this morning. There's nothing that you're going through that Jesus hasn't gone through or the Father hasn't gone through. And he, if this is a hard situation for you and a hard season for you, Jesus, our Father and our our brother and our Lord, King Jesus, wants to sit with you in your problem and in your pain and in your situation. But he's not gonna leave you there. He's gonna help serve you out of where you are. It doesn't mean it's going to be easy. He does discipline those he loves because he's here to serve us. Why? Not because he wants to punish us, because Christ was punished for you. No more punishment. Christ was punished on the cross so you will escape the punishment from God. But he will serve you. He will serve you out of where you are and into the purpose of God. If you're in here this morning, you're saying, Blake, I have never made a decision to follow Jesus and I want to this morning. I want to follow this servant king you're talking about. If that's you, I want you to raise your hand. I want to pray for you. Raise it high. Amen. If you raised your hand this morning, I want you to pray this with me. Say, King Jesus, I want to follow you with my whole life. Help me serve others like you served me. In Jesus' name. If you're in here this morning and you just need God to strengthen you uh, because you know Jesus is asking you to serve in a situation and you need strength, I want to pray for you. Just lift your hands to the Lord. Father, you see these hands. Jesus, we need your help. You are asking us to do hard things and we need your strength. We need your grace this morning. Strengthen those with their hands in the air, Lord. Pour out your spirit on them. Give them your grace. Lord, here's my prayer for them that they would see you, King Jesus, They'd see you, King Jesus, serving them. And that picture alone would ruin and strengthen and change their lives. 
Jesus loves you so much, he'll serve you. Isn't he the king? Yes, he's the king. And he'll serve you all the way to the cross, all the way to glory. May we walk in his wake this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Thank you for being with us this morning. You can all, everybody stand to their feet as we close. Thank you, families, for being here. What an exciting morning to dedicate our kids to the Lord and be reminded of our great responsibility to steward and shepherd the children of Jesus that we've been given. Why don't you, before you leave, turn around and greet someone. Tell them you're glad they're here, that Jesus is here to serve you. So am I.